Okay, today we're in Romans 8. We've been taking the summer to get through Rome, and now we're in Romans 8. Let me remind you just for a second about next Sunday, or let me inform you of some, uh, some things. We're not going to meet here at all. Wow, let there be light. Um, we're not going to meet here at all. We're going to be at Lyman Lake Lodge. We're going to be having our service there, then we're going to be having baptism there, then we're going to be having lunch there. So if you come here, you'll be lonely because nobody will be here, all right? Uh, it's BYOB, bring your own blanket uh, or chair, and uh, we're going to kind of set up out there and we're going to have a service and it'll be great. Now, I would, um, let us, uh, let us, uh, let us agree, all of us, that we are going to pray that the weather isn't like it is right now, okay? Because it is um, hottish uh, right now. So let's pray for cooler weather and let's pray for um, uh, low humidity. I mean, uh, it doesn't hurt to ask, okay? So uh, we'll ask for it and we'll see what we get. I have to tell you, the first time I baptized in a lake was in Lake Michigan uh, about 10 years ago. Lake Michigan, if you've never been, it, it, is, it is amazing. It's huge. And um, there's a, a phenomenon called the water turning over that happens in Lake Michigan at the end of summer. And basically, the cold, deep water comes to shore, and usually it's a, it's a kind of an easterly breeze that, that carries the warmer water up the surface of the deep, and the cold water comes in. Well, that happened the morning of baptism. Now, when I say cold water, that morning, or that afternoon when we baptized, the water temperature was 49 degrees. I almost started sprinkling and just calling it good, you know? Really, I was like, that's eh, good enough. I, I, it was... It was so cold, I mean, I have to confess, I was thanking God there was only 13 people to baptize. I mean, it was like, oh Lord, thank you, there aren't very many people here. And I know that, fe- that feels kind of sinful, but um, it was selfish, and, and I was praying it. But what, what, what a day that was. Okay, so, we're going to be in, in a, a great, we're going to have a great time next week. It's, it's just, a, we're going to have fun. Also, you need to know this, um, Ben, our... Kind of, I guess, are you former? Where's Ben? Ben, our former uh, worship pastor, our former youth pastor, is uh, today is your last official day, and uh, he's sitting in the back. Uh, so uh, we know it's the last official day here. Uh, Ben's going to lead worship next week for us, and if, if you, you know, Ben's going to be there, and if you want to, you know, if you've had opportunity to say goodbye or whatever, we're going to kind of have time to, to hang out with Ben, and, and if you want to bring a gift or something, that would be okay, and there's going to be a table set up for that. So I just want to let you know that we're going to recognize Ben kind of like that uh, next week as well. So thank you, Ben, for all your good work, and we appreciate you, and we're glad, glad we get to do that. Okay, so today we're kind of continuing the theme of what we talked about last week, and that is, you know, why do bad things happen? Because bad things happen, there has to maybe be a reason behind it. Let's talk about why that is. Now, a couple weeks ago, my oldest daughter, Amaris, came home, and, and Amaris and, and Janelle, number three, and Elise, number four, were here, and, and Am loves to hike, and she found this hike in North Carolina, and it's called um, Turtleback Waterfall. And on Turtleback Waterfall, you can, you can go over the fall. Now, it's not sliding rock. Everybody says sliding rock. No, no, I've done that too. It's really super cold. This one it's about, 20, it's about a 20-foot waterfall, and you kind of you slide over the edge about 10 feet, and then you drop about 10 feet, kind of what it, what it is. Now, from the bottom, it 
it doesn't look incredibly intimidating, but you get on the top, and you get to the port, point where you slide over and you, you slide out off, uh, it, it, is, <laughs> it is amazingly intimidating, all right? So I'm up at the top of this waterfall, and, and um, I'm thinking about, thinking about going over the edge. I'm thinking about it, and I start to walk out there because I saw some people walk out there, but it's super slippery. I mean, it was crazy slippery. So I, I, did, I sat down like this, and I'm doing this deal, you know, trying to get over a little bit. And then I just sat there because I, I can't see where this goes. But it looks like you're 100 feet up. So I sat there while the water's going like at 100 miles an hour. It's beating against my back. It's like God pushing you and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Now, this is a little intimidating. And then this nine-year-old boy <laughs> walks behind me and he walks out here. And, and so I kind of shift, but I'm holding on. And I said, have you done this before? And he's like, yeah, like ten times. <laughs> he didn't say loser, but it was in his tone. <laughs> he toned me loser. And so, kid walks out there, sits down, slides over, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's stupid, Right? Then two girls, two little girls, they're like three. Uh, they walk behind me, they slide off, and I, I'm, just, I'm just sitting there. I am sitting there scared out of my mind. Now my girls come up, a couple of them, my oldest two, and they get in from the other side, and they kind of slide over, and we're all kind of slid together. And then Amaris, my oldest, she starts sliding forward, not of her own volition. She kind of slides out there, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy, I can't get back. I guess I'm going over. So she did. Whoop, she goes over. So then I go over. Then we did. Once we saw that, actually, we made sure that she lived. Uh, and she got up, and then so it was okay. Now, the point of the, the whole story is this. We'd like to think that people who are telling us things know what they're talking about. In fact, I think that's my first slide. Let's see. Yeah, there's something inside of us that wants to be certain that we can trust whoever's in charge. So I didn't know that little kid. I didn't know that little boy. When he said it's easy peasy lemon squeezy, I don't know that he's right, right? I don't know that. I, I heard about a guy, he got on a, a friend of mine got on a plane, and the pilot, you know the pilots come on and talk sometimes, and he said, this is my last flight, I'm retiring, and everybody clapped, you know. Can you imagine being on a flight, and the, the, the pilot comes on and says, this is my first flight. I've never flown before. Anybody clapping on that flight? There's nobody clapping, right? There's this old story. Remember Lufthansa Airline? It's the airline from, from Russia back in the day. It was really notorious for being bad. And this story, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's not true, but it's kind of funny. Um, Lufthansa, they're flying over uh, the Atlantic, and, and they have some engine trouble, which was kind of they were notorious for. And so the story goes that the pilot came on and said, um, we're going to have to crash land in, here in the Atlantic Ocean, and Everybody that can swim, get on the left side of the plane. Everybody that can't swim, get on the right side of the plane. And we'll tell you what to do after that. And so everybody kind of makes the shift, and they're sitting in their appropriate sections. And the plane crash lands, right? And the pilot comes on, and he says, uh, those of you in the left side of the plane, those of you who can swim, we're going to open the doors, and you swim away from this plane as fast as you can. For those of you on the right side, thank you for flying Lufthansa. I mean, it was kind of, you know... 
Thanks a lot. So what we want to know in life is the person flying the plane is competent. Really? I mean, you know, I don't want the rookie. If I'm having brain surgery, I don't want the guy who's fresh out of medical school. I want the guy who's done 7 billion operations already. Not that day, but, you know, uh, he's done a bunch of them. Uh, I want the guy working on my brakes to have done it once or twice before because it's really kind of important that I'm able to stop in my car. Uh, I want my kid's teacher to have some experience. So it's not just like pilots. We, we'd like to know the person in charge knows what they're talking about. Now, it, it's a natural transition to go to, okay, we'd like to know that God is in control. That somebody, something, is controlling what's going on in this world. Now, there's this sort of crazy notion, an illusion out there, that I'm in control. I'm in control. Like, I can make things happen or not make things happen. And typically, this is a vice of youth. Because when you're young, man, you have energy and and, uh, ideas. And I remember Muhammad Ali, who recently passed away. He was from Louisville, and so in Kentucky, he was quite a big deal. And you remember, if you grew up with Muhammad Ali, how... Uh, braggadocious he was, and he would say things, and everybody would, you know, he was really awesome. And then you saw him 25 years later with Parkinson's disease, and he can't control his own movements. There may be a facade of I'm in control at some point in your life, but it's not even true then. We're we're just not in control. And and before you know it, um, we're, we're, we're tempted to think that, uh, um, my personal strength or my networking is going to get me through, but all of a sudden you have a diagnosis of cancer or a, a blood vessel bursts or somebody misses a stop sign or somebody dies, and all of a sudden you know you're not really in control. And somebody ought to be in control. Which brings us to our big idea for the day. God is involved in all the aspects of our lives, and He is in control. Now, last week, let's review real quickly. Um, stuff happens. Bad stuff happens in your life. Um, light, we, we live in a fallen world where bad stuff happens. And, and it's just how it is. Now, understanding that I live in a fallen world where bad stuff happens helps me deal with what I'm going to go through in life. I don't have to live at the mercy of of my consequences, or my circumstances. So, we're going to look at Romans 8, 28, a verse you might know. We're going to kind of look at it big time. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We're going to break this verse down. We're going to kind of start a little bit in. So the first thing I want you to notice is, all things happen to all people. All things happen to all people. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we are tempted to begin to think or maybe teach that following Christ means that my circumstances are always going to be good. That following Christ means that my circumstances are always going to be good. Now, I understand why we do it. It just really runs contrary to Scripture. I mean, Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't know how much more plain Christ could be. In this world, you will, it's definite, it's certain, you will have trouble. 
and bad stuff happens. Now, we're thinking, okay, well, if I become a follower of Jesus, maybe less bad stuff will happen. Really, no. You, you, you got in life, you got bad stuff and you got good stuff. That's kind of how it works. Let, uh, let's take a little quiz. You tell me if this is good or bad. Um, getting a promotion at work, good stuff, bad stuff? Good stuff, all right. Um, illness, good stuff or bad stuff? Bad stuff. Blind date? Uh, you don't know that. You don't know that. You don't know that. Going on a cruise? Um, going on a um, a mime festival cruise? Bad stuff. Going on a Weight Watchers festival cruise? That's horrible. Going on a Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, Little Wayne parody cruise? I'm jumping off. I mean, uh, you know, so. The, the problem is, um, we start to think that when I become a follower of Jesus, it's God's job to make sure my circumstances always are good. And so, hey, one of the reasons for following Christ, some think, is so that I can always receive what I perceive as good stuff. I get to define it, right? I define what's good for me. The problem is, God is smarter than us. And he knows What's good for us. And all things happen to all people. Traffic jams happen to all people. If you go to Woodruff Road around Christmas and you're a Christian, do you think there's a lane for that? Yeah, it's called sitting there with everybody else. That's the lane you get. Bad stuff happens to all people. Good stuff happens to all people. Everybody experiences traffic jams and problems at work and their kids get sick and our AC goes out and it's 100 degrees and 110% humidity. It, it's All things happen to all people and it is spiritually dangerous and naive to think only good things happen to Christians. Because followers of Christ, great followers of Christ, sometimes experience difficult circumstances in their lives. Let me tell you about a guy named Dan McConchie. McConchie. He is the vice president of government affairs at Americans United for Life. Uh, Eight years ago, he was riding on his motorcycle in traffic. Uh, A guy swerved in in order to uh, avoid hitting the guys that swerved into him. He went into oncoming traffic. Um, He experienced... Six broken ribs, deflated left lung, a broken clavicle, a shoulder blade that was broken, five broken vertebrae, and he was left uh, in a paraplegic state. And what, I mean, he did nothing wrong other than avoid a, a collision, and by avoiding a collision, he was in a collision. And eight years later, this is what Dan, who is still in a wheelchair, writes. When I learned... What I learned, he says, is that this life isn't for our comforts. Instead, the purpose of this life is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen with everything when everything is unicorns and rainbows. It, is instead, it, 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 uh, it instead happens when life is tough, when we are forced to rely upon God through prayer just to make it through the day. That is when uh, he is most at work in our lives, molding us into who we were designed to be. And then this is powerful. 
My prayers are different today than they were eight years ago. Back then, I looked at God like Santa Claus. I asked him to send, uh, send nice things my way. Now I have one prayer that I pray more than any other. Lord, may I be able to say at the end of the day that I was faithful. Real maturity there. All things happen to all people. Good stuff, bad stuff. And when the real danger is if we teach, if we begin to think that good stuff is always going to come my way because I'm a follower of Christ, it's always going to be good, then when bad stuff happens, it just crushes our spirits. Part of why we get to do life together is that we, in fact, we looked at it a few weeks ago, we get to rejoice with those who rejoice. We get to come alongside those who are going through difficult times. See, I don't have to live at the mercy of my circumstances. It's not more stuff that's going to make me happy. It's developing a character like Christ that makes me happy. And we have to get rid of the saccharine notion that all things ought to work out. That it ought to work out. We live in America and our Western society says if something doesn't work out, if something doesn't go my way, I, I should uh, sue. You know, this, this product didn't work the way it was supposed to. I need to, I need to sue. But honestly, everything that goes right is a miracle of God. I love the verse in James 1.17 that says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God. Every time things go right, it's a miracle. We live in a broken world where broken stuff happens. And when it doesn't happen, it is a gift of God. First and foremost, all things happen to all, thing, all people. Second, in all things, God works. God's working in all things. Now, let's talk about something real quickly. The promise is not things are going to work out. Too many people say, oh, things are just going to work out. Not everything is okay. And remember last week we talked about this verse, Romans 8, 21. It says, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We are in bondage today to death and decay. That's why we have mechanics and plumbers and plastic surgeons. Why is it that when you buy a new car and you drive it off the car lot, depreciation began immediately? Because things fall apart. Why is it that when you buy an appliance and they talk you into that warranty and you buy the warranty, one month after the warranty runs out, your appliance crashes? Why is that? Because things fall apart. Why is it that when you get on in, uh, in an online dating site uh, and you look at pictures, those are pictures you posted from 12 years ago. Why is that? Because things fall apart. We live in a broken world where broken stuff happens. He doesn't say things are going to work out. It's not the promise that he makes. The promise isn't either things work together for good. Everything is going to work for your good. We, we, the Apostles Creed begins, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. The Israelites constantly kept in mind before them how big God is. It was so important to them to remember how big God is. Look at this verse. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Those of you who are outdoors people, when you go out and you're, you're away from city lights and you look into a starlit sky, are you not just amazed? 
It's as if somebody plugged in all the stars at one time, and you can see them all. And astronomers tell us there are 200 million galaxies that we can see. And each galaxy could have as many as 100 trillion stars. Sometimes we forget how big God is. We think it's a a big universe and a small God when it's exactly the opposite. This tells us that these things are in God's hands. He's an enormous God with a little universe. Look at another verse. All right, I'm clicking. What? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fun. Dead air is always so great when you're a speaker. Yes. I'll read it to you. Ah, uh, oh, okay. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, no one of them is missing. Have, has anybody in here ever misplaced their keys? Anybody? Uh, seven honest people and a bunch of liars. Okay, uh, you ever misplaced anything? I mean, I, I, I forget my kids' names half the time, you know? I have to go through every one of them before I get the right one. I'm making stuff up because I can't remember their names. Shasta, I don't know who they are. The one thing about this cool verse is that God, he, he's never said, where did I put the Big Dipper? I, I mean, that, that's what this verse basically says. He he knows everything. Where's Alpha Centauri? Uh, oh, uh, he, he knows it. He, he, uh, he's in control of all this. I mean, the thing that they talked about as Israelites was how big God is. Oh, one more. Let me show you another one. You made the mountains by your strength. You were uh, dressed in power. I love the mountains, and I love going to the ocean, and I love going to huge lakes and waterfalls because it just gives me an opportunity to marvel at God's creativity. And the people of Israel would say over and over, it's the God who made the heavens and the earth that watches over you. He he knows every star. He made every ocean. He knows everything, and yet he has time for you. He's this enormous God who has time for you. And when you go to bed at night and when you're asleep, do you you ever think somebody's in control? There's a a God of the universe and he's making sure things are running. We're not in control. First, all things happen to all people. Secondly, in all things God is working. Thirdly, in all things God is changing us. In all things God works For the good. Now, this is sort of a a verse that's taken out of context a lot of times and really sort of misunderstood. Um, Some people think like this. If my circumstance doesn't work out good, let's say I applied for a job and I don't get it, then that automatically means there must be a better job waiting for me. Or uh, I don't get this promotion, that means God must be waiting to give me a better promotion. Or, I don't get a date with this hottie, then there must be a hottier hottie that I'm going to get a date with, right? Did you all know, I mean, you might not know this, but when, when I was quite a bit younger, um, I, I dated Miss Kentucky Teen. She was, she was quite attractive. Now, it didn't work out, you know, it didn't work out. Does that mean God necessarily was going to give me someone more beautiful? Well, it worked out for me that way. 
worked out for me. But it, and look, she won Miss Kentucky Teen because she had all her teeth. Uh, really, that was kind of... <laughs> and her talent was, uh, she could hit the spittoon for about 12 feet. So that was pretty awesome. When things work out in your life, it's because of God. Things don't just randomly work out. In all things, God is working to make us better, to to make us like Christ. See, good stuff can happen to me, and or good stuff can happen in me. And as a parent, your kids are saying, I'd like this and I want this. And anything they see on television, they they want that. And we as parents like to give good gifts to our children. But we who are good parents know that sometimes we have to say no to our kids because because what? We put them in time out. We we give them, we, we discipline them because we're more concerned with the person they're becoming than just giving them happiness all the time. We're, we're concerned about the, the human being, the adult they're, they're going to become. And so sometimes you have to say, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. You can't do that. And everybody else, I mean, I've heard this, I've, I've, this is on my fourth kid now, right? I've heard it a million times. Well, everybody else has, you know, you fill in the blank. Everybody else has a Porsche. Well, you got a hoopty. That's what you're going to get, a hoopty. Because daddy can't afford a Porsche for himself, you're not going to get one. That's kind of how that works. Um, sometimes you have to say, well, everybody else is doing it. And, and the greatest parental line of all time, well, I'm not the daddy of everybody else. That's, that's what we say. You know, if everybody else is jumping off, of, you know, it doesn't. At some point, you have to say no. Because you are more concerned with your child's character than their comforts. It is, it is not as if we invented that. This is, this is from God. God has something more noble in mind for us than just to be comfortable. He has something more glorious in mind than just for us to be happy. It's bigger than that. He has a long-term vision for us that has much more to do than just the immediate. He has the eternal in mind. I saw this the other day. We want God to change our circumstances. God wants to use our circumstances to change us. I mean, this is the truth. Rick Warren used to say, God is more interested in our character than our comfort. I I love those words. So let's look at our verse again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew... For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's plan for you is not that you just have good circumstances, but that you develop the character of Jesus Christ. And he uses kind of a a hot-button word, predestined. Predestined simply means it is predetermined. This is God's plan for you when you become a follower of Christ is to become like his Son. And, and whatever it takes to get you there, this is what he will do. And conformed, the word conformed on the kind of the next to the bottom line there, is, um, is the Greek word morpha, from which we get metamorphosis. He's going to change us into Christ-likeness. I love what Tim Keller said. 
Christ did not suffer so you wouldn't suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like him. This is incredibly important to us. The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. It doesn't promise us better life circumstances. It promises us a better life. And when we look at the men and women of Scripture, the apostles, Paul, I mean, Paul suffered greatly. And yet, we look at him and say, this guy, he, he really loved Jesus. He didn't really love Jesus because Jesus gave him everything he wanted. He really loved Jesus, even though sometimes he didn't even get what he wanted. The Bible talks about him praying. He prayed, you know, he had a thorn in the flesh, he talks about. Nobody really knows what that is. He prayed about that, and God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. All things happen to all people. In all things, God is working. In all things, God is changing us. And in all things, God is changing us because he loves us. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Paul, as a devout Israelite, would have prayed the Shema every morning and every evening. When he got up in the morning, he would have prayed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And when he went to bed at night, he would say the same prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And the Israelites loved this verse because there were, there were no, there's no other God that cared to be loved. All the other gods, uh, nobody said love Molech or love Ashtarah or love Baal because they just wanted obedience. They didn't care about you loving them. God is the only God who says, love me. This is, I want to have that kind of relationship with you. Now, now it raises the question, um, God is developing the character of those who love him. What about people who don't love him? Well, Jesus sort of answered that question. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is what, this is what God does. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Think about God this way. He's working in every life. There's a cool text in 2 Peter that says, um, God is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is so incredibly patient. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. And we know. It's not we think or we guess or we surmise or we speculate. We know these things. How do we know them? Well, there's a, con- there's a connection between doing things and knowing things. The Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. How do you know that? You start to give. You, you take God basically up on the challenge. I'm going to see if this is true. Uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I'm going to become a, a giver. And I'm going to see what you, what you see is that it is a blessing to give. And, and the Bible tells us that you know, we're to pour our lives into our marriage and, and be faithful and be selfless in marriage. And when we're faithful and selfless in marriage, we, we come to grow to love that person more and more and more. And at work, when we do our best 
we go to bed with a clean conscience because we know we've done everything we can. And the Bible says, work is unto the Lord, not unto men. And, and so we do our very best because it is the best way to live. There's an old song that we used to sing in the Baptist church I grew up in. Trust and obey. Y'all remember that one? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's a cool, cool text. Now, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's an allusion to adoption there. Now, in our society, we, we typically adopt children, babies, infants. That's, that's how it works for us. In First Testament, New Testament times, that wasn't how it worked at all. Um, There wasn't a lot of formal adoption for little kids. But if a man had great wealth, but had no heirs, and he got near the end of his life, and he didn't want his wealth to be sort of divvied up to other people, what he would do is he would select somebody to become his heir. Uh, Oftentimes it was somebody that worked for him, somebody that he trusted. And so he would approach this It could even be a slave, honestly. It could be somebody that just worked with him. And and he might say, I I have great wealth and I would like for you to inherit this. And and they would enter into formal adoption procedure. And they would would sign the papers and they would do the things. and, And the relationship went from informal to formal. And the relationship would go to kind of business to family. And, and this person who may have been strapped with debt, the day he is adopted by this wealthy benefactor is the day that his debts can be paid off and he receives the riches of the benefactor. This is what he's talking about here. We become just like Christ. It's a process. We're not there yet. Uh, we're, we're working toward it. But there's good news. Let me, sh- let me share one last verse. Those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, what's interesting about this is, wouldn't it say he is glorifying kind of in the process? So he, he's called people. That's in the past. And, and, and when we become Christians, we are justified. But we're in the process of being glorified. We're not there yet, except he sort of puts it in the past tense. He also glorified. It's as if he's saying it is an absolute certainty. When we become followers of Christ, it is a certainty that God is going to work in our lives to help us become like Christ. I love this. God is going to make you as beautiful as Jesus. It's going to happen. He's working toward that end. Our circumstances lead us to that point. And the transformation is happening now, even gradually. That's why we should be quite patient with one another. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we're getting there. It's going that direction. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, we are glorified. This is something... It's going to happen. I I think there's no better promise uh, in all the world than that God is going to make us as beautiful as Christ. We're going to be Christ-like. And for eternity, our character is going to be like Christ, which is 
which is super cool. Bad, bad things, we live in a broken world where bad stuff happens. And yet God takes those things and uses them to develop our character. He uses them to develop us into Christ-like people. This is his ambition for us. When I became a follower of Jesus at seven, good grief, I'm a little older than that now, and it's been a few years, and I look back, um, I don't know, do you all ever do this? You ever look back at stuff that you just really, you wonder why you did it? Why did I do that? Because that was really stupid. Nobody else? Just me? Uh, yeah. And, and I look at stuff and I think, oh my word. Um, when, when I was a teenager doing just dumb things in 20s, and then you'd think, well, I'm better. I, I should have gotten better, but in the 30s I did dumb things. And then when I was 40 I did dumb things. Uh, now that I'm 50 I'm pretty good to go. But uh, for a long time, you know, just dumb thing after dumb thing and and I, you know, I, I regret some of that. I look at that and go, ah, oh, oh, if I could do that over. When, how you raise your kids sometimes, like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. In my relationship with my wife, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. In my relationship with my churches, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. But in all those things, all those mistakes, cre- create in us the person that we are, we learn from mistakes. The two places you learn things, mistakes and YouTube. Uh, these are the two things. You can learn anything from those two. And sometimes you watch the YouTube and make a mistake. And then you really learn. You really, really learn. I, I mean, I am thankful, not so much that I did stuff, but that I learned from stuff. And from difficult times and from hardship and loss. People will tell you that are successful that they learn a lot more from failure than success. It kind of seems to be the case. So when we have difficult times, we can look to God and say, you are creating in me a character like Christ. And we can thank him for that. That's not easy, but that's what we should do. And that should make sense to us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you've given us an opportunity to look at an incredible couple of verses that help us to be reminded that we are becoming, we are becoming, we are growing in our character to be like Christ. And Lord, we're thankful that even in our hardship and our mistakes, that you create, you're continuing to create in us a heart like Jesus. We thank you for that. And we pray that this week when we experience difficulty and hardship, we'll be reminded that these are opportunities to grow in character. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.